Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Charlie Trotter, his legacy. I just recently saw the documentary, and I want to give you my thoughts and opinions and how Chef Charlie Trotter affected my up-and-coming years as a chef. Stay tuned. So before we get into Charlie Trotter and the documentary Love Charlie, The Rise and Fall of Charlie Trotter, let me give you a brief update on some things that I've been up to this past week. It was Thanksgiving, so obviously I ate maybe, I probably ate too much. I didn't I didn't eat a ton. Anyway, turkey, stuffing, I like a traditional Thanksgiving. I don't get crazy with it, and um, honestly, sometimes I overdo it, and this year I kind of pared back a little bit. I only made a couple of items because I, I didn't want to have a ton of leftovers, the reason is, is because then I'll eat like shit uh, too many days afterwards. So I, I cut the amount of items that I prepared, had fewer leftovers, and it actually worked out well. Um, I'm recording this on a Saturday after Thanksgiving, and I think the only thing I have left is a little bit of stuffing. So that's good. Anyway, I finished up the Line Cook Survival Manual. That book is out. You should go get it. Um, it's a little bit different than my other books. So uh, culinary Leadership Fundamentals is really geared towards chefs and sous chefs and people that are new in position. Line Cook Survival Manual, it's really geared towards all cooks in the kitchen. Whether you're a prep cook, a line cook, a banqueting cook, a room service cook, it's just line cook sounded better, right? I think people will get it a little bit more if they understand that it's really for cooks. But um, it's basically the do's and don'ts and some general practices that you could use as a line cook. My first book, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen, I know I've talked about this before. I, I wrote that really as a joke um, for the echo chamber of chef friends that I have. It wasn't intended to be for more than maybe 20 people. Um, and now when I go back and read that, I realize, oh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things in there that I, I don't necessarily support for a mass audience. I support them more for uh, you know specific types of kitchens. With Line Cook Survival Manual, I think these are more applicable to every single kitchen that exists out there. I think um, they're some of the best practices that I've accumulated over my career. And one of the things that I left out in the book is um, I was at an event and a really great chef was one of the panelists at the event that I was at. I was the moderator. He was a panelist and uh, Chef Tavel, uh Bristol Joseph from, uh, he's part of the Emmer and Rye group here in Austin, but he was talking about why we need to do better as chefs and in this industry. And it really resonated with me. And I, I wish I could remember the stats that he shared, but it was something along the lines of, of the amount of people that go to culinary school. I don't remember what the percent was that he said, don't finish culinary school. And of the people that graduate, how many people drop off and don't last more than a few years as a, as a cook in the, in the kitchen. And then of those that remained, how much even fewer of those make it to become a chef. And that was really a big part of the inspiration of why I decided to write the book because I thought to myself, I need to do something that I could, I need to do something that I could support young cooks that are coming into the industry to give them a better chance at success, right? Because it is a difficult industry and, and 
I could go on and on about all the difficulties that we face as chefs, as line cooks, from, you know, hard work to, you know, difficult work environments, to the heat, to the physical stress that we go through, to the mental stress, to the chaos that we deal with in the kitchen. Um, We could talk about, you know, the difficulties of the wage gap in kitchens, you know, from, um, from entry-level cooks when you get right out of school and you have all this student debt. Anyway, there, there's a lot of difficulty that goes into being a cook. And if I could make it a little bit easier for you to navigate through that and shorten your learning curve, then that's what I'm going to try and do. I really want to help chefs. It's something that I, I, I know I've talked about this before. It is my job. Um, chefs PSA is what I do, but my real job is I work with uh, chefs and cooks uh, through mentoring programs and things like that. That's... Um, that's really how I make my money. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Line Cook Survival Manual is out. Go get it. Now on to Love Charlie, which I was reluctant to watch it because um, I don't know. I don't. I don't really like watching a lot of food shows. I watch. Uh, you know, I, I really don't even watch that much TV to be honest with you. I probably you know when I, before I'm going to bed, I'll I'll put on a little something, but maybe thirty minutes if that. But Love Charlie, one of my friends reached out to me and said, you should watch it. I said, okay, I'll, 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 I'll give it a chance. And I got to tell you, I don't want to spoil the documentary for people that haven't seen it. So I won't talk about anything that isn't public knowledge, right? But the documentary is great because it really showcases who Charlie Trotter was. And it really illustrates a lot of things that resonated with me as a chef and that I think a lot of chefs should pay attention to as they are in their career growing as chefs. When I was a cook, I remember, you know, the big chefs back then, this is um, mid nineties. I remember I went to my chef's office and, you know, I worked in this Italian restaurant and my chef, uh, I considered my chef to be like the guy that walks on water. He worked in San Francisco in, you know, in that era. And he worked under all the cool chefs back then. And, uh, I remember I walked into his office and he said, Andre, do you know who the best chef in the world is? And I said, Paul Perdome, because honestly, that, that was like the conversations like Wolfgang Puck, Paul Perdome, maybe Mark Miller. Those were the chefs of my era when I was coming up, when I was just coming into the industry. So my first answer was when he said, Andre, do you know who the best chef in the world is? I said, Paul Perdome. And he said, no, there's a guy called Charlie Trotter. And he is the best chef in the country. And I, and I remember thinking like, holy shit, who is Charlie Trotter? And he let me borrow one of Charlie Trotter's books. I think it was the very first one that has like a maroon cover. It's called Charlie Trotter. And I remember I saw that book and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like my brain was just melting out of my ears when I saw the food that was in the Charlie Trotter cookbook. I had never seen food so beautiful. And for people that don't know, like when you look at cookbooks now with the beautiful photography and all that, that didn't really exist before the Charlie Trotter cookbook. The food books back then were not as beautiful. So when I saw this book and his style of plating and the colors and the style of photography, it was just like light years more advanced than everything else that existed on the market at the time. And I just remember thinking like, holy shit, who is this guy? I need to know more. I need to, I need to learn everything. And, um, I remember, you know, his books were expensive to me back then. I was a, I was a line cook. You know, people tell me today, like, you know, was, line cooks got paid shit back then. I think I was making like $5 an hour, like five twenty-five. <laughs> like I was not making any money. I remember when I got my first paycheck as a line cook, it was like, uh, like 175 bucks or something like that. Um, 
for the for the two week period. And I remember thought I was so cool. And I went to the bank to go deposit my check. And I was like, you know, the bank teller was a cute girl. And I was like, I'm going to flex because I got $175. She's going to be so impressed with me. <laughs> anyway, that was that was my flex. I was flexing my $175 paycheck as a line cook, thinking that I was rich back then. Um, anyway. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Yeah. Subject for another day, possibly. Charlie Trotter, back to Charlie Trotter, back to the documentary. Um, Charlie Trotter was huge. He was instrumental in a lot of people's career. And everyone wanted to cook like him. Everyone was buying his books. I had two of his books, uh, which I still have. I, I have the Maroon Charlie Trotter cookbook. And then he had another, um, it wasn't part of his series. So he had uh, vegetables and meat and game, seafood. Maybe he didn't have meat and game. Maybe it was called game. But anyway, he had he had the green book, the blue book, um, the Maroon book, and then he put out another book called uh, Kitchen Sessions, which was part of his PBS show. And so I had that book because it was a little less expensive and I could afford it. And I cooked out of that book when I was a line cook. All the specials that I used to say were my original ideas were just his. Um, you know, I, I have a chef's PSA where it says, um, before you show your chef the amazing dish that you just came up with, make sure they don't have the same cookbook. The reason I did that PSA is because I did that. You know, I was stealing dishes out of Charlie Trotter's cookbook back then and then showing it to my chef like, hey, look at this dish I came up with. And he knew full well, like he had the book. He's like, you didn't come up with this shit. Uh, but, you know, I was, I was just a, a dumb kid back then. But that's how much of an impact Charlie Trotter had on me. Like I said, he, he walked on water. And um, one of the biggest regrets I have is in one of my trips to Chicago during multiple visits, I had an opportunity to eat at Charlie Trotter's on three different occasions. And all three times I said, no, let's go somewhere else. So I think one time I went to go eat at Blackbird instead. Uh, another time I ate at L2O, uh, which, you know, is referenced in the documentary. It was, you know, back then one of the only two, three Michelin star restaurants in Chicago when it was Alinea and L2O. And then Charlie Trotter had two stars. So I was like, no, let's go to the three-star place. So we ended up eating at L2O, which, by the way, badass kitchen. It's the only kitchen that I've ever been in where they had silicon mats on the stainless steel. And it was, I mean, it was a pristine kitchen. It was, it was um, really, really well-designed kitchen. And Laurent Gras used to be the chef there. And I remember once or not once, I remember he had a blog that really detailed his thought process into how he designed the kitchen and why he designed it that way. It was really well written, and I used to love that blog because it inspired me so much into running my own kitchen, some of the things that he was doing. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. L2O was a great restaurant, one of the best meals I've had in my life. But back to Charlie Trotter, I didn't go eat at Charlie Trotter's because I went to L2O, or I went to Blackbird, or I went to another restaurant. And, uh, you know, shortly after that, he closed the restaurant and then he passed away and I was never able to try his food. But coming up, he was such a legend and an icon. And, you know, th this is back in the day when, you know, chefs like Charlie Trotter, or Thomas Keller, um, you know, they, they walked on water. I still think Thomas Keller walks on water. But back then, Charlie Trotter was like, you know, culinary, culinary royalty is really what he was. 
And I had always wanted to work in his kitchen, but I, I never, you know, the, the opportunity to move to Chicago just never presented itself. And I never really pursued it with enough intent to try and get in his kitchen. But so many great chefs came through that kitchen. You know, Grant Ackett's went through there, uh, Graham Elliott, a lot of really great chefs. Uh, um, a lot of chefs that I know have gone through there. And when I've spoken to them, like, what was it like? What was it like to work for Charlie Trotter? And the answer is cryptic. They said, it's everything that you think it is. Um, and I'm not sure what that means because, you know, Charlie Trotter had a reputation of also being a very hard chef to work for. Um, in the day of hard chefs, he was considered the hard chef. So, you know, um, we all know what those days were like when we hear the stories. And he was like the guy that was considered the hardest to work for. So uh, I could only use my imagination of what that was like. But the guy was a legend. And his food was on such a high level that um, I, I don't think that people really understand how much he like gave crutches to the entire culinary industry with his books. They were just the, the way he plated the ingredients that he used. You know, he was the first one really doing that vegetable centric food before anyone was even thinking about it. He was just way ahead of his time. Um, but like a lot of chefs, and this is, this is something that I've spoken about on other podcasts, when, especially, uh, you know, if you want to go back and listen to sacrifices of being a chef, I, I touch on this a little bit more, is that, you know, there's a life cycle for chefs is, you know, you, you ascend, you have your, your moment where you're on top, and then you, there's kind of this decline in your career where you're on, you know, on the bottom. And that's a tough place to be. And, you know, Charlie Trotter wasn't exempt from that, where he was, you know, culinary royalty. And then, you know, towards the end of his life, he was kind of, you know, the, the chef that was forgotten um, and not really given the, the respect that he deserved for how much he shaped the way that we cook as chefs, good and bad, right? So I'm not going to sit here and say the guy's a saint, um, but I will say that... Um, Having never worked with him, he definitely inspired me, and he was a big part of my culinary development. A side tangent is um, I remember once I made a dish. I don't remember what the dish was, but I used to make so many dishes out of his cookbook um, in the restaurant where I worked, and I would present them to my chef. And there was one that I think it was like uh, a risotto. It was a, it was a risotto, but it wasn't made with rice. It was like I think it was made with butternut squash. So I brunoised the butternut squash and cooked it in the style of risotto using the risotto method. And I remember I presented it to my chef because I wanted to run it on the menu. And he said, well, you know, what the fuck is this? And I said, it's butternut squash risotto um, with curry oil. Cause I, I think Charlie Trotter was big back then with having the multicolored oils. I said with curry oil and you know, chive oil or whatever. So it was like yellow and green. And my chef looks at me and he says, but it's not risotto. I said, but it's butternut squash risotto. He's like, but there's no rice in it. And I said, but it's made in the style of risotto. He says, well, then call it butternut squash cooked like risotto, but it's not risotto. And I said, well, Charlie Trotter calls it risotto. He says, you ain't fucking Charlie Trotter. <laughs> and I remember that argument like it was yesterday. Like, like, first of all, this is a Mediterranean restaurant. We have no business serving this. Um, you know, I was trying to force things on the menu when I was young because, you know, I wanted to cook that style of food. I wanted to cook just like Charlie Trotter. But I wasn't the only one like that. I mean, so many people were doing that. There was no Instagram back then. 
there was no Facebook or you know YouTube or any of the social media platforms that we have today. So you waited for the next cookbook to come out, so you, everyone would rush to the to the bookstore to get the newest, greatest um, celebrity chef cookbook, so that you could steal ideas and hopefully get those dishes on your menu before someone else did. So you could you know front and claim it like you invented it um, yourself. So. It was just a different time. Like no one really knew in the, like where was what where the food was coming from. It wasn't like today. Like everyone knows. Like oh, you you saw this here, you saw that there. We all follow the same chefs on social media. We all see the same food. We all get the same ideas. But back then, it was like there were no ideas, and then boom, new book. You got sixty new ideas depending on how many recipes were in the book. It was just a different time. I I enjoyed coming up as a chef in that era because our I don't want to say our learning was just a little bit slower. Uh, we weren't as overwhelmed as chefs are now with the amount of trends and techniques that are just constantly bombarding you as a chef. It was a little bit slower, so you spent more time on what was in front of you at the moment. So a good example, I would say, is if the food trend was risotto, let's just say, yeah, and everyone was going all out on risotto and all things risotto for a number of years, it's like you learned how to make really good risotto because that's all you knew for the next you know, for the, the next year until the next new trend came out in a new cookbook where today it's like, okay, we're going to saturate the internet with this technique and that technique and that technique. And you don't spend a lot of time on these techniques because you learn it really quick and you move on to the next one, you move on to the next one before you've really fully mastered that specific technique. Anyway, I would say if you have the opportunity go watch Love Charlie. Um, for chefs like me, he was a hero, um, what he did in his career. It humanized him a lot. You know, I don't want to sit here and say that uh, he was a bad man or that he was a good man. I think everyone could make their own judgments. I'm not, I'm not here to judge him. I'm just here to um, appreciate what he did for me, appreciate what he did for so many other chefs. He, he was an inspiration. Um, I never worked for him, so my opinion of him is always going to be a little bit skewed versus maybe people who did work for him. But I want to pay respect and um, for all the chefs that came before me and thank them for what they did and helping shape the, the industry that we have now and, and taught us and mentored us and inspired us to be like them, I guess. Who knows? Anyway, that's it for today. If you want to support the show, follow Chefs PSA on all social platforms, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Twitter, etc. Go buy the books, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen, and now the Line Cook Survival Manual. There's merch on chefspsa.com, t-shirts, water bottles, etc. If you're interested in the mentoring services, you can find that out also on chefspsa.com. And thank you so much. See you next week and hit the porno music. 